everyone, and welcome to the Royals Rundown Podcast with myself, Jacob Milham, and I have the normal comedy cast of clowns that join me on the podcast. First off, Greg Walker. Greg, how you doing tonight, man? I feel like I've really uh, toe the line between being like an actual co-host and just a recurring guest on this podcast. I feel like I'm <laughs> right, right in the middle of that with how often I'm on it. I feel like you're like a like a 49.5% stakeholder in a in a company or something. You're, you're just right there. Just need yeah, to Yeah. Which that, that's more of a stakeholder than I am in any actual company. So there's that. Uh fair enough. Fair enough. So but our our other guy with us, my co-host Jeremy Greco has been kind of uh, quiet on the other end of this. Jeremy, uh, what's going on over there, man? So just a little inside baseball for you. Uh, at Royals Review, uh, we writers share the duties of writing the recaps every week. <laughs> and uh, this week, uh, our illustrious editor had to go on a little vacation. Uh, and he usually covers the Friday and Saturday recaps. So I volunteered to cover those. And I usually write the Sunday recaps. So I've got the entire weekend, all three games. And I'm going to spend all three of those games staring into the void that has been left in this lineup by the absence of Vinny Pasquantino, which I know we'll talk about more in a minute, but staring into this void, I need your thoughts and prayers, gentlemen, because when you stare into the void, sometimes it stares back. Um, yeah, there's a lot of losses coming out of that void, staring back at you, my man. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and it's not like they were winning a lot of games before. That. <laughs> <Nope>. <laughs> Hey, think think about it this way. If they win one game in that span that you're doing the recaps, that's better than their season winning percentage. Like that's pretty good. That that honestly just makes me feel worse. I was thinking like, let's win two games. I would like to win two games. I would like to watch two wins. But you're right. That's that's an impossible dream. Well, guys, I've already popped the confetti. I've been drinking champagne all day because it is official. As of this recording, the Kansas City Royals are in last place in Major League Baseball. Just in time for just in time for there to be a draft lottery now, so it's not even a guarantee that they get the first overall pick if they're the worst. Correct. And and the team that passed them in the the overall standings just had an anti-boycott where they filled the stadium to protest the teams likely moving from Oakland to Las Vegas, where they chanted very loudly and for a very long time, sell the team that that fan base is fed up and they are, they are ready to, to move on to, to something else. And by golly, the Royals are worse. Well, I mean, Oakland Athletics fans should be upset that Brad Pitt is still running their team after all these years. I mean, it's been, what, like 12 years since that documentary came out? Like, come on, Brad Pitt doesn't know a thing about baseball. Neither does Jonah Hill. Like, what the hell? I mean, you don't know that, but in a literal sense, I mean, Billy Bean isn't even really still running the show there. Like, he's not really I know, the I know. guy anymore. But I know. <laughs> worth pointing out, I thought this Oakland team might be the worst team of all time, but they're on a W7 right now. The Royals haven't even won three consecutive games at any point this season. Like, that's just how bad this team is. 
We can't even oh. manage three straight. Like three straight barely even qualifies as a winning streak. We can't even sweep. One sweep. How many? How I, hard, how many that's, that's not going to happen. They are not going to no. sweep a series this year. How hard yeah, can it be to, to have a three-game winning streak? It's got to be super easy. Tell them, Wash. It's incredibly hard. <laughs> it's incredibly hard when, like, your offense overall is not very good, but, like, with runners on, it's just the worst offense of all time somehow. I, I don't get it. Like, in high-leverage high lever- situations, just impossibly bad. Are you, are you referring to, to the, the statistics that were on Twitter earlier? Because wouldn't that – it was? it's not just this year that they're bad. It's been – for a few years that they've been that bad, right? Sure, they've been, they've been bad for a few years, but this year, like, they're on pace to be the worst high-leverage offense in MLB history. And so I think that's nice. that, that's really saying something. Like, we could, records, we could be boys. seeing – yeah, we could be seeing, like, a, a historic team in a lot of different ways here. Like, we're already yeah, yeah. on pace for a franchise record of losses at the very least. We could still see the major league record of losses. We could see the worst high-leverage offense of all time. Like there, There's so much history that could be made this year in Kansas City. So, so much a, history. There's this – I've always heard it's a Chinese curse, which is probably racism. But um, there's this curse that I absolutely love, regardless of its origin, uh, that goes, may you live in interesting times. Because it doesn't sound oh like gosh. a bad thing until you think about it. And when you live through history, usually it sucks. <laughs> usually like, so. History isn't about like, oh, everything was really cool for a while. Like, nobody talks about that part of history. I mean, yeah, we already lived through like a pandemic that's, I mean, still going on, even if a exactly. lot of people act like it's not. I mean, that's going to be looked back on. People are going to be like, oh, damn, look at that history. And though we were there and like, yeah, no, it wasn't fun. Like, it sucked. <laughs> There's so many, so many historical events that we look back on, or at least that I look back on. I don't want to speak for you guys. That I look back on, and I'm like, what are people thinking? What were they even thinking? Were they thinking they could They must not. What? And and that's what's going to happen to us in a hundred, two hundred years. People are going to be like, what were they thinking? And imagine when they unearth like Magic Kingdom down in Florida or something after the floods have taken Florida. And like, wow, they had a, a church to a mouse. It's amazing. It's a castle. All right, guys, listen, we are we are dangerously barely on the rails. We're only six minutes in. Listen, if you guys if you guys want some more clear, concise, and correct. Royals information, please go check out RoyalsReview.com. A lot of great work over there from the team, including these two. Jeremy, I su- I sincerely do not envy you having to do the recaps. Um, if, if people were here listening to my Royals recaps on the podcast back earlier on in the season, it got just darker as the season went along. The tone just got less fun and more serious as it went. So kudos to you. But hey, listen, we already got the last place stuff out of the way. We gotta talk about Vinny Pasquantino, y'all. So if you're if you're living under a royal sized rock, Vinny Pasquantino, he is gone for the season. He's out. He will undergo surgery to repair a torn labrum in his right shoulder, which uh no, he is not dead, Jeremy. Good God. Rest in peace. <laughs> Tots and pears, once again. Um, listen, Jeremy, so honestly, you and I talked about this with the right shoulder instability stuff. We were worried that it would be serious, but I don't think we really considered it being quite this serious. I, uh, yeah, I'm feeling some sort of way about it. What you got? I, I'm going to. 
I'm going to give you a little juke juke move here. Oh, ready for this. I'm going to juke you out of your shoes. I'm actually, like, it's a bummer for this year, obviously. But remember my complaint in the last podcast was, what the heck is shoulder instability? And why does it keep happening? That was, I was like, this is nonsense. This is scary nonsense. Now it's uh, a torn labrum, I think they said, but it's like, now we have a medical diagnosis that like sounds like a medical diagnosis. We've got a plan for treatment. We've got, you know, like we're, we're, this feels like progress. This feels like, okay, this is not a thing that he's necessarily going to have to live with for the rest of his career. Now, obviously there's a long recovery period. He's going to miss the rest of the year, miss that development time. So that's a bummer. It could impact his career. In, in variety of negative ways, but at least I am confident now. Well, I'm more confident now than I was before that he's not just going to randomly miss a month next year because of an unstable shoulder. I mean, we, we've already sort of lived through this, I guess, not necessarily as Royals fans, but it's just baseball fans in general back in 2021, when a lot of us learned because of Fernando Tatis Jr. What the hell a shoulder subluxation is. And I still couldn't explain actually what a shoulder subluxation is other than the fact that Tatis had it in 2021. And so there, there was that at least. And look, I mean, this sucks, obviously, for Vinny. This sucks for the Royals because like they already can't hit and you're taking out one yeah. of the guys that could actually hit. Granted, Vinny was like really bad for the last month or so. And so I have to wonder how much that shoulder was playing into that. Regardless, it sucks. It's good that it happens now. And so hopefully he'll be, you know, ready to go to spring training next year. I'd be more concerned if this happened to a pitcher because like when a pitcher gets a shoulder injury on their throw inside, like I think I think they're cooked automatically. That's fair. That's fair. This does uh raise for me uh again issues that I've had with this team and the way it deals with injuries where it feels like the, the way they talked about Adalberto Mondesi was, uh, was like, Oh, he needs to play through the pain. And it's like, no, he tore his ACL. Don't, don't play through that. Um, and, and then, you know, Hunter Dozier talked about how his thumb was still messed up for a whole half a season. Carlos Santana was playing through an injury at one point. This team asks players to play through injuries way more often than I'm comfortable with. That's fair. And maybe that's why they don't want to invest into another player long term because they just want to, you know, use use all the tread that they got. But that's a conspiracy theory for another time. <laughs> I, I I gotta talk about that. I ain't gonna talk out of my out of my ass like that for lack of better terms. <laughs> um yeah, I mean it's just like people keep on saying it can't get worse and then it just keeps getting worse. Y'all forget the wisdom of Buddy Bell. I was going to say, we've been here before. Come on. Yeah, yeah. it's it'll always get worse. Um, Vinny's trying to keep a, a positive outlook. Bally Sports Kansas City was talking with him earlier. You know, he obviously ain't going to be happy about it. Like, I guess you could spin it like, hey, these, uh, these struggles ain't my problem anymore. Y'all uh, see ya. <laughs> But no, he, he ain't gonna be like that. Um, we'll we'll just have to follow his his recovery. I'm I'm blanking on which Isn't Rangers player Stockton? it was. No, Jeremy, there's not a Rangers player named Speckled Stocking. No, I meant like if we if we follow Vinny while he's doing all his rehab, is that that Stocking right? Like, well, if space. if like okay, if I'm so how are y'all gonna follow him? You're so far away. Like you're not in Kansas City. <laughs> We, we'll I find a way, Greg. Job, Greg. Oh, man, don't roll Strap me Strap a GoPro to your head and... Uh... 
you, I don't do think, you want to become a bigger I, stakeholder in this podcast? Get get to stalking. All right. I do not think the Royals would give me media credentials. I do not think they would make that mistake. <laughs> Yeesh. I mean, listen, if they can't even give a Fesco media credentials back in the day, they certainly ain't giving it to us. I mean, the only thing I would do is just go bother like Brady Stinger and Daniel Lynch and be like, yo, what was it like pitching in the College World Series? I was just like. <laughs> Damn draft nut. Yes, we will get to your college baseball later on, Greg, okay? Jeez Louise. Has to be done. I mean, what what is there with the Royals? Like, what, how are we feeling? Nick Prado presumably is going to take over for a space with Vinny gone. And, like, on the surface, his numbers still look like they're okay for this season. But he's been really bad for, like, three weeks or so now because he's still striking out a third of the time. And yeah. so I just – I don't know if he can maintain a 400 bad if that's the thing. Uh- anecdotally when i was watching sunday's game um i just remember one at bat where he struck out looking it was a three-two pitch and it was on the corner and he struck out looking and if it was anybody else i would have thought about it but there's there's always been this talk about he needs to be more aggressive he need he's got a good eye but he needs to be willing to swing the bat more and i'm like when you got two strikes on you like you got you got to expand the zone a little bit my buddy and, and you're still not doing it well, maybe he just hasn't been in that. I don't know how often he's been in that situation at the major league level, to be honest. Maybe maybe it's an inexperienced thing. I don't know. But I was feeling okay about Nick Prado at first base until I saw freaking Salvador Perez taking ground balls at first base. I mean, wrap that man in bubble wrap, put him behind the plate four times a week, and just call it good. I don't need him out at first base, guys. <laughs> I am like, I'm genuinely scared. We're already worried about the wear and tear on this guy. And we're going to put him at first base. Like, Greg, am I, am I crazy for thinking that's just not the best way forward? I don't necessarily think it is, but at the same time, in some sense, I feel like Salvi kind of transitioning into being a first baseman was inevitable at some point, because I mean, that's just what this team does. And so I wouldn't be like shocked if they do this now, like if, you know, if they want to get a right-hand bat over for a space for whatever reason, it's not really much of an alternative on the roster right now. That's true. That's true. It, Jeremy, it gives you, you an opportunity to put uh, MJ Melendez back behind the plate if you move Salvi over to first. And I've heard arguments made that if Salvi were to play first base more regularly instead of catching, it would actually lead to less wear and tear on him and let him just focus on continuing to hit as this – I, I can only call it, it's got to be like dad strength, right? I don't know if he's actually a dad, but when you're when you're 33, you call it dad strength, right? I mean, he's basically like old enough to be the father of half the roster. So, <laughs> oh wow, I don't know about that. But yeah, the no, sorry, not, the roster's not as young as you think, unfortunately. No, I know. I'm the, that that was a very poor joke, Salvador. I do I do apologize. You're not that old. You're just older than me, so you'll always be old. But I listen. I'm trying to keep a positive mindset about whatever they do at first base. I guess this means more Diron Blanco out in left field. Like we'll probably see a lot more of that. This is probably going to put Edward Olivares back into the defensive left field spot, which is never good. Makes my eyes bleed when I see it at certain points. Makes me wonder what the heck. How did this happen? don't like it but, <laughs> but 
I mean, Jeremy, I'm, I'm trying to think of other like positives that can come out of this hole because there are some guys down in the minors that are those fringe quad A sort of guys. Uh, CJ Alexander, Logan Porter come to mind. Um, but I, I don't know if we want to see them up in Kansas City. Do you just want to see them patch it together or do you want to see a new face? I, 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 should way to put me on the spot. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't form a. I, I know I'm the, the noted non overreactor here, and uh, I, I'm gonna non react to this one. I don't, I don't care good. at this point. Mm. Like they promoted Dyron Blanco, 30 year old outfielder, and I'm just like, okay, fine. They actually got younger because they got somehow. Gay. That's true. See, <laughs> silver lining. They got younger in the outfield, but they promoted a 30-year-old outfielder. That 2023 Royals for you. Greg, what, what do you think about the situation? As far as I'm concerned, you have to just run Nick Prado out there more or less every day to see what happens. Like, look, he's going to strike out a ton. I have just no doubt about that at this point because, like, there's there's clear holes in his swing. Like, he has a decent approach. You could One could say, like, he needs to swing at strikes more often, but, like, he just – there's holes in his swing. And so he's always going to have a certain amount of swing and miss on strikes. And so that's always going to be a problem. So it's just going to be, does he make enough contact, draw enough walks and hit for enough power to be a viable first baseman? We'll see. There's only really one way to find out because I just don't know what else he has to prove at AAA anymore. And there there really isn't any other option. Like anybody else you put at first base at this point is going to be essentially like a journeyman or like an orb depth sort of guy. Like what do we want Matt Beatty back up? Like we re-signed to a minor league deal it. a couple days ago. You better believe it. He's I'll back in the organization. And I don't know who is next up at first base besides like you could say CJ Alexander, who I don't think is a prospect. You could say Logan Porter, who I also don't think is a prospect or Matt Beatty. So yeah, the options behind Prado aren't exactly inspiring. Matt Duffy. If, if I put <sighs> a deadly firearm to your head, a deadly weapon to your head, that right would now, be a felony. Yeah. How dare you? Hold on, Jeremy. No, you can't get away with that. If I Go put ahead. an imaginary I deadly that. weapon <laughs> to your head right now, and I said, tell me, predict the future. Is Nick Prado at least decent? Is he is he a is he a credible major league first baseman going forward? What's your answer? No, I think he'll be somewhere between like a zero and two war sort of guy. So like a like a fringe starter, maybe okay. a bench piece, but like as a first base only, you have a lot less defensive value as like a bench piece. So I don't know. It's just it's really, really hard to strike out as much as he does and be a viable big league starter. That's just the fact. Yeah, that's true. I I don't know. I'll try to be optimistic. Yeah, I think he can. I'm not hundred percent sold on it. Um, I was a real big believer in his glove in the minor league system, of course, but in the opportunities he has gotten at first base in Major League Baseball, the glove has not looked at the caliber that we were expecting, I guess is the way to put it. And Greg, you you hit it on the head. The strikeout concerns are always going to be there for Nick Prado. And I I need to look at his numbers. Maybe I'm underestimating it. I don't think the the powers to where a lot of people were expecting either. I don't know how well that's transitioned, but Greg, you, I mean, you might know better than me. Well, it's not like he has insane raw power and he never really has. The thing is just that the way he was able to kind of pick out what pitches he could do damage on them and actually do damage on them is the reason why I was able to hit so many homers in the minors. So 
Like he, like Bobby Wood Jr. has better raw power than he does. Like MJ yeah. Melendez has better raw power than Nick Prado. Like Nick Prado is not going to be that like 80, 80th percentile max exit velo kind of guy. It's just like he's the type of guy because of his approach, his game power can outperform his raw power. But again, there's there's just issues. Like the only comp for a guy that strikes out this much that can be successful is like Joey Gallo, and he's just a freak in so many different ways. And so and he, he it, struggled yeah. for a little while there. Yeah, you can players like that can be very streaky. Yeah, you know, you know what the Royals are really kicking themselves for right now. What they let Ryan O'Hearn go, he could be oh, playing no. first base for them right now, saving us from the loss of a oh, weight. How many plate appearances does O'Hearn have now? Like 60? <laughs> I think he has Not a little many. bit more than that. Right, yes. <laughs> Listen, I went to one Norfolk Tides game. When he was there, and the man hit two home runs in the game. He the man AAA pitching. He does absolutely loves AAA pitching. I went to a game in 2016, and Drew Butera had three hits. Therefore, he's the best hitter in Royals history. Obviously, obviously, that's actually just my opinion anyway. But that's that's different. Ryan O'Hearn has 70 at bats, a 9.78 OPS, five home runs, and 19 RBI. I'm Great. sorry, I would put that in the lineup. <laughs> I wouldn't because I guarantee he will come back to KC and immediately revert to a 55 WRC plus. I mean, that's what would happen. That's just like, the Kansas City Royals. I haven't bought up to the. I haven't bought into the idea that some fans have of everybody comes to Kansas City and gets worse. But at this point, like I can't disprove it. Everybody that comes up from the minors gets worse. Everybody that comes from outside the organization gets worse. So I can't disprove it. That's true. Also, random fact, I did not realize that MLB.com had Ryan O'Hearn's official nickname as Brohearn. Oh, did yeah. not realize that. When they uh, did that, the back when they did the the player the player weekend or whatever and everybody could have their nickname on their jersey, he was Brohearn. Oh, okay. I don't I do not recall that honestly. All right, listen. Let's let's stay on the on the positive or sorry, the presence of these last place Kansas City Royals. So coming up on the other side of this ad break, we're going to be talking about a little bit of the MLB draft confusion that has taken over Royals Twitter. Plus, we got to give Greg his uh, his three minutes of college baseball talk. Please stay tuned. I'll have the timer ready. And we are back here on the Royals Rundown podcast. Jeremy, you don't need that timer just yet because we are going to be talking about a little bit of this uh, NBA lottery versus MLB lottery, which I, I'll i admit I got confused as well. It uh, I, I wouldn't say it took over Royal social media, but I think we were all trying to distract ourselves. It was pretty prevalent. A lot of people were tweeting about it. That is true. That is true. I am... All right, so let's go ahead and dive right in. So this is where the confusion comes from. The MLB Lottery Draft Frequently Asked Questions article confused Royals fans today. It said, quote, teams that receive revenue-sharing payouts can't receive a lottery pick for more than two years in a row, and those that don't can't get a top six choice in consecutive drafts. So people were concerned that, okay, the Royals are getting a lottery pick in 2024. That is kind of guaranteed right now, it feels like. So there was concern, okay, 
are the Royals going to suck and we can't pick higher than 10th overall in 2025? That that was the concern. And guys, it took it took a while, but we had Jim Callis. Um, he's a senior writer for MLB Pipeline. He put together the frequently asked questions and he did have some clarification. Um, but Jeremy, I thought I saw you weigh in on this. What a... Uh, like, what did you think about that? I I found uh, for, there was a, a reference. Royal Report Kev found a reference on uh, Baseball America. And then I found a different MLB fact from the one you just read from um, mm. FAQ that specifically said, uh, used the words, cannot have a lottery selection uh, okay. within for for more than the the two years for the revenue sharing and one year for the non-revenue sharing which would indicate to me because the lottery selection is one through six after that it goes back to just by your record so if right. you're not in one through six you didn't get a lottery selection you got your you were you may have been in the lottery you were probably in the lottery because every non-playoff team is in the lottery and that's the other thing that makes it so that I don't think teams are eliminated from the lottery just for having been in the lottery because you've got 18 of 30 teams are in the lottery every year. You have a t- you have by the time you get to year three, you're going to have multiple teams that didn't make the playoffs for three years in a row. And you're going to tell all of them you're not in the lottery. Well, that's confusing and weird and that doesn't make any sense. So. based on what I have read and what makes sense to me, you have to get a lottery selection, a number one through six pick. The way I kind of have been thinking about it is you have to win the lottery, you know, and just enter the lottery to eliminate yourself. You have to win the lottery. And the Royals didn't win the lottery this year. They will be picking seventh overall, uh, which means they didn't win the lottery, which means that they are still eligible at least for 2024 and 2025. And they would be ineligible in 2026 if they got a top six pick in both of those years. Which that wouldn't be bad. Greg, what do you what do you think about all this? Can you see where it would get confusing? I, I can absolutely see, especially given the fact that we haven't actually seen it in practice yet. And so no nobody I feel like nobody really knows outside of actual MLB exactly how this is going to apply because like even you mentioned Jim Callis, like even he doesn't seem like one hundred percent certain exactly the mechanics behind it. So I'm going to be honest. I wasn't really following along with it at all today. Like, I'm not going to worry about it because it's at least a year away. So that's a problem for future Greg to worry about. And it's not that's like the Royals have done so much better with their fourth ramp or fourth overall picks than their 12 overall picks. Eight <laughs> <laughs> yeah. to yeah. Right. right. So just to wrap this up, this is what Jim Callis put out in response to all this. Uh, Quote, I wrote that based on the original memo circulated when the CBA deal was reached, I have yet to see the actual rule codified, so honestly not sure if that applies to the top six picks as determined by the lottery mentioned in memo, which is what Greg talked about, or sorry, Jeremy, excuse me, or the top ten, which I have also seen written. So this is a guy who kind of adds more confusion to the issue. Yeah, because nobody was saying top ten. If somebody wants to actually dive into the full CBA, you could probably figure this out because I'm pretty sure one can actually access the CBA in its entirety now. I don't know where right. exactly, but people have. It's, Google's a hell of a drug, man. All right, I will I will find it somewhere. I'm sure it's in like a random Wikipedia link somewhere. I'm sure I'm sure I'll get there eventually. But yeah, no, it's there's a lot no, of confusion it's just, on it's it. It's just on the Major League Baseball Players Association's website. 
<laughs> oh, boo. Okay, well, that's not that's not very fun, Greg. Thanks. I needed yeah, an excuse to stay up late. I don't know if I can control F through this entire 442-page <laughs> document to figure out the Draft. actual rule, but yeah, I'll just type in lottery and see what comes up. I mean, there can't be that many lottery things in there. This is this is live podcast re- recording, y'all. This is, yeah. this is a lot of words. There's a lot of words. There are. I believe you. Yeah. Yeah. If there's 442 pages, that better be a heck dang lot of words. I don't know if it's written like a children's book. Is that English? A a heck dang lot of words. Thank you, Jeremy. I I know I can't English good, but but damn. Greg's clicking a lot over there, so there's got to be a lot of lotteries. No, I actually, I actually did Control F lottery, and I didn't find a single instance of it. And so no. I tried, I tried going to Draft instead, and unfortunately, I had uh, let's see, fifty-five usages of the word Draft, and so there's a lot more of those. You know, what I was interested as I was trying to research the subject, what I was interested to discover is that they use those same little ping pong balls that they use for like the state lotteries they have mm-hmm. they have a machine and they have like a, a a like special lawyer guy who's there to verify all the results and they apparently choose a thousand and one combinations or something and then they hand out a thousand of the combinations based on the percentages and then they hold the one thousand and first i don't know why i guess because then it screws up the odds and, but then they use like one of those ping pong ball machines, and they just draw the numbers. Hold on, Jeremy. We got to put pause on that because Greg gasped. On There's the one hundred and thirteen usages of the words revenue sharing consecutively. No. Oh, this That's is going to so be such many. a pain. It's going to make for a good Royals review article. I'll tell you that much. Half, but of, Jeremy, the CB- that- half of the CBA is just emails, just directly copied emails as like addendums. Nice. This is that's, this is legal strange. documents. God, I love how legal documents yes. work. They're so stupid. All this is fake. Everything that we're doing is fake. Everyone's <laughs> like, oh, look at the, the legal. I can't understand the legalese. No, it's the legalese you can understand. It's why did they include the email where Bob told Sally that uh, you know the cokes cost too much. <laughs> hey, make make sure you you copy me in on the next uh, vending machine email, please. Just CCs everyone in the office. That's that's how it goes. Trust me. I'm in the so in the in the Navy office side of things, they have distros, and so they will just have a single email, and it will ping everyone that like is associated with that distro. Oh God! It is so so annoying. There's my, I you know there's the jokes that go around on like you know old. Uh, newspaper cartoons right about the like reply all yeah and how people will abuse that and i thought that was like made up i was like surely people would actually (laughs) behave that way uh but since i got my job at my current place of business twice i've had my entire day my i'm unable to check my emails for all the reply all spam i've got oh my gosh (sighs) power Tots and prayers to you, Jeremy. All right, we, we got a Thanks. lot of thoughts and we got a lot of a lot of prayers going out this podcast. Um, I will. I do have to point this out. Going back to the Vinny Pascontino stuff, um, a guy that I that talks to me on Twitter tries to 
talk with me, I guess. I don't know how to put that. I don't talk back. Uh, Jesse Kirkendall is his name. He did just point out a good thing. So what's the guy in the Sasquatch suit going to do for the rest of the year? I think he's out of a job. I saw that and I saw somebody else replied, can he pitch? <laughs> that is a uh, that's a good that's a good question. I mean, Sasquatch is actually pretty strong. So he's probably got a pretty mean fastball. You know, I wonder what Ryan Lefevre thinks of that uh, Sasquatch costume. I wonder if he would call an ambulance if he saw someone wearing a Sasquatch costume out on the street. <laughs> if if you want to know that reference, listeners, please go listen to our Sunday episode because uh, Jeremy absolutely flamed the broadcast. <laughs> I'm not letting absolutely. you go. As, as you shouldn't. Forever. As you shouldn't. We have few things to latch on to this season, and bad broadcast calls are certainly going to stick. Just ask Rex you know, Hudler. When, I was just going to say, when Rex Hudler screws up, we get, he's your daddy. Please him. Make him happy. <laughs> him happy. Oh, like, man. When Ryan Freeman goes, I'm just, I get angry. I turn into a Hulk. A typewriter Hulk. <laughs> oh, Smash man. Keyboard. Bang, bang, bang. All right, so, listen, Greg stole his – oh, no. I, I, look, I, looked at, I looked through every iteration of the word draft in the CBA, and I cannot find anything that even mentions the concept of the draft lottery. So, oh, my gosh. So maybe a longer research I don't have a clue. Yeah, I might have, I might have to go through all 114 iterations of the word revenue sharing together, and I really don't want to do that. Yeah, that uh, that Thank sounds you. like another another time. Another we'll, we'll have a whole podcast where we just read the CBA. Oh, <laughs> take turns. They'll take they'll take days. Yes. yes. All right, guys. Listen, let's go ahead and try to get back on track here. Greg, I did promise you some time to talk about college baseball, and rightfully so. We are teams are heading to Omaha. They're punching their ticket. Um, I. You know what? I don't like the Texas Longhorns as much as anyone in the Midwest, but that ending to their game against Stanford was was terrible for those individual players. That has to feel awful. Um, but, Greg, what, what else are you watching as the World Series is about to happen? Well, I'm here, as you can see, rocking my uh, LSU Tigers jersey because they're one of the eight teams that are headed to Omaha. That's LSU along with Wake Forest, Florida, Tennessee, Oral Roberts, the four seed, they are the upset kind of going in there. Uh, Virginia, TCU, and I should have written these down so I can remember which ones I've already said, and Stanford, I believe I just hit all eight. But I think what, you did it. You that did. Was Congratulations. Yeah, so what stands out to me here is like the amount of – like it's one of the strongest fields we've seen in Omaha for a long time. I think it's like the most combined wins among the eight teams since 2013. And so, wow. like, it really is a lot of the best teams. Like, even Oral Roberts, they won 51 games this year, which is a ton of wins for one season in college baseball. So, they were a four the Royals, seed, man. but they were no joke of a <laughs> four seed. So, what really stands out to me is just the amount of, like, high-end talent that's going to be here because when you look at pretty much anybody's draft prospect rankings as we head into the draft here, which is a little bit under a month away here for Major League Baseball, a lot of those top college guys are going to be competing in Omaha this year. And so – this made it tricky for my prospect write-ups as I prefer to write about these guys after their season is completed, but some of them are still playing. That's yeah. a lot trickier to do. So the top three is going to be, I think in this order, probably Dylan Cruz and Paul Skeens, which is an outfielder pitcher for LSU, and then Wyatt Langford, who's an outfielder for Florida, 
So all three of them are playing in Omaha. They're probably going one, two, three in the draft. If any of them fall to number eight for Kansas City to take, I will eat my hand because I just do not see that coming at all. But there is still going to be some excellent players that should be available at number eight that you can watch play uh, this weekend and next weekend at Omaha. One of them that I will be writing about sometime soon that I'm quite high on as far as pitchers go is a guy named Rhett Lauder. He's a starting pitcher for Wake Forest. He has probably been the second best starting pitcher after oh, only Paul Skeens from LSU. So he's going to go out there for Wake Forest. He's ACC Pitcher of the Year two years in a row now. He, he's been doing the damn thing. Not like massive strikeout stuff because he doesn't have like the modern kind of riding for a seam fastball. He's really more of a sinker guy. Bottom of the zone gets a lot of ground balls. But he has the best change up in the draft class. A really nice slider too. And I think crucially for a Royals organization that has – struggled to develop pitching we could say for some time now wake forest develops pitchers better than almost any other university in the country they have a very advanced pitching lab they have a biomechanist on staff there and so they really tend to get the most out of their pitchers so theoretically he should be a very advanced prospect shouldn't require a whole lot of seasoning or time in the minor at least to get there so you can watch him this weekend i would love to see the Royals go for him at number eight another one of his teammates at wake forest brock wilkin he's their third baseman He's probably more of a lower first-round guy, so like the Royals wouldn't go after him unless they wanted to go under slot, but light tower power, and he could pick it over at third base. So he's a he's a pretty interesting guy in his own right. Outside of that, uh, Stanford has a guy, Tommy Troy. He's played both second base and third base. He can maybe play shortstop. He could be an option for him. He's kind of a do-it-all guy at the plate, and obviously he's a Stanford kid, and so that tells you a little bit of something about kind of what he is mentally. And then even like looking ahead to next year, the Royals, will they have the number one pick next year? I mean, maybe. And if they do, they could be in on Jack Caglione, who's currently yeah. leading the nation in home runs and also is a starting pitcher in Florida's rotation. And he's had some walk issues this Johnny? year, but you, <sighs> let's not let's not put those lofty comparisons on a kid just yet. But like he throws upper <laughs> he throws upper nineties. He's got a good slider. He's had some walk issues times this year, but he still has another season of college ball to go. And so Lots of very interesting guys, even leaving aside some of the other guys that I've already written about. A lot of really high-end talent that we'll see up in Omaha this weekend. So I definitely encourage anybody, especially if you're a Royals fan, like I don't know why you'd watch the Royal this weekend when you could be watching high-level postseason, high-stakes baseball instead. That's true. That's true. Because we won't have that in Kansas Royals City for a while. That, that's why you, you would do that. Or, hear me out, Jeremy. Hear me out. Everyone yeah. can skip out on the Royals broadcast and just read your recaps. How's yeah. that sound? I mean, yeah, just I'll be the only one watching the game. That I'll I'll take that hit for everybody. You you Thank all you, are Jeremy. welcome. You're Thank telling you. you're telling me, Jeremy. I have to write tonight's recap. <laughs> I, got a I, I don't mean. Just go ahead. I saw there was a little bit of a, a, a controversy on Twitter. I think it was a college pitcher. Who threw 153 pitches? 156. Mm. 156. What? What? What's? Give me your take. So that was a kid named Quinn Matthews pitches for Stanford, and like we haven't had a big leaguer throw that many pitches in like 20 years or more than that. Like the last non knuckleballer to do was Roger Clemens, and we don't really see this even even at the college level where we will see guys get extended more than we usually see in the majors. We haven't seen a guy throw as many pitches in a very long time, and so I can I understand why it was controversial. I'm largely okay with it because the kid knows what he's getting into. I mean, he was drafted last year. He was 19th round pick of Tampa. He came back partially because he was maybe hoping to raise his draft stock, but also partially because in his own words, 
I wanted to win a College World Series for Stanford. Like, he came back for this. And so he's willing to go out there and do whatever his team kind of needs him to do in order to win it. And so, like, fourth-year senior, again, he's, he's a Stanford kid. He graduated already. He has a degree from Stanford. If he doesn't make it in pro ball, which, I mean, I don't know if, like, that's really his main goal or not, he's got plenty to fall back on. He's going to be okay. So if his arm explodes tomorrow, it's not as much of an issue for him as it would be with some other college kids. So like the fact that he was a senior, the fact that he, if he, if his main thing was, I want to be a professional baseball player, he didn't have to come back to school. He could have just gone into Tampa last year. He could be pitching in pro ball right now. And also the fact that like in college, we see potentially worse pitcher usage of like a starting pitcher throws a hundred pitches and then comes back two days later and throws 50 pitches out of the bullpen instead which I would argue is worse than throwing 150 pitches all in one go to have to have two separate kind of ramping up periods like that. So I, I understand why some people weren't okay with it, but personally, I don't have a problem with it. My only, my only thing I guess is if his arm explodes, he's still got to live his life. Yeah. And, and I'm like, if my arm, expl- I'm not a professional pitcher, but if my arm explodes, I'm very unhappy about that, and I'm not looking forward to how that's going to work. So that that's my only thought, but I'll admit that that is a, a very uh, unlikely concern where his, his, he would, from one game, throwing 153 pitches, damage his arm to the degree that it would affect his everyday life. And Greg, if I saw this correctly, like he's he's not a fireballer. Like he's he's mostly a, a control, like nitpick at the zone sort of guy. Like no, he's like, Cal Eldred would have loved. Yeah, he's I mean lefty throws like low nineties, throws a lot of sliders and changeups. Now I don't know like how much that really matters anyway, but I don't know. Like a- anecdotally, I don't know if you guys listened to uh, the Cespedes family barbecue guys, but Jake Mintz not exactly a, the same situation, but he was a D three pitcher at WashU in St. Louis. And he ended up having to, he ended up damaging his UCL and having to get Tommy John after he graduated anyway. But he was also speaking for himself, like, yeah, I had my degree. I knew what was happening. I knew I wasn't going to have a future in the major leagues. And so, yeah, I, I would have absolutely gone out there and done that. I, I didn't care. That was like, I look back on that and I'm like, would I do it again? Absolutely. Even like, even him having long term UCL damage now, like, he gets it. So. Obviously, it's different for everybody, but like the fa- I think the fact that he's a senior and has already gotten his degree from Stanford makes a huge difference. I, I bet so. Hey, Greg, one more question before we get off of college baseball. Um, I know whenever a major sports draft approaches, you know, they start talking about different options to go number one overall. And I have heard people ask the question, can Skeens go over Cruz in this draft? Would you be surprised if that happened? Yeah, just because I think most teams are generally pretty hesitant to take a pitcher 1-1, especially when you have a prospect like Dylan Cruz available. Now, if it was a lot of other years, I mean, hell, if it was last year, for example, I wouldn't be that surprised if Paul Skeens had gone 1-1, but because Dylan Cruz is just like such a generational prospect to the extent that he is, like he's at least the best position player prospect since Adley Rutschman, if not since before that, so... He's the slam dunk pick for 1-1. And then, honestly, like, Washington is picking two. And Paul Skeens is, like, the most Mike Rizzo pick of all time. And so there is no chance Paul Skeens get past number two at the very least. Oh, no, I, I think that's – like, I would bet money on that, that at least Cruz and Skeens are the top two picks. I don't know. I think there's, like, a – I don't know. I, I wouldn't be surprised if the pitcher went 1-1, but it would go against the historic, like, uh, what's it called? 
presidents. Yeah. So I'm just I'm just remembering the last time the Royals had the number one overall pick and went with a pitcher who hadn't pitched in a year. Yeah, I've I've seen some mock drafts mocking Noble Meyer to the Royals, and I am begging you, oh, JJ Piccolo, what? do not draft Noble Meyer. Do not draft a high school pitcher. Just don't do but it. But his name is Noble. <laughs> don't care. <laughs> that, that, he's that's not, a date. He's only a high school. Right he's thing. only a high school pitcher. He's a high school right-handed pitcher. That is a terrible pick, especially in the at the beginning of the first round. Do not do that. No doubt. No doubt. That's very surprising. But I mean. We, we all give the Royals crap for it seems like the strategy is go under slot at your top overall pick and then make it up with the second overall pick. Like, I don't know. They have Noble Meyer, MLB.com at least, has him as the 11th overall prospect. So I guess if they wanted to go under slot, that would be a way to go. Maybe not the way to go, though. You don't That's go barely under slot. under slot, do you? Yeah, barely. Because a high school Sorry, or just go to college if you try if you don't give him as much money as he wants. Isn't that how that works? Do I miss? It? I'm not a draft guy. I'm not, I'm literally asking. I don't have the answer. It depends on how much leverage, like how strong of a commitment that high schooler has. That's okay. true. But like going under slot would be a, picking a guy like Enrique Bradfield Jr. Right, Greg? Like that. Yeah, going with like Enrique Bradfield Jr. Maybe like a Matt Shaw. Nolan Shanuel, if you want to get crazy, uh, I don't know. There, there's a lot better options if you're going to go under slot. Hurston Waldrip, that, that's the guy I was looking for. Hurston Waldrip is a fascinating guy. Yeah, there's a there's a few more like top 15 guys that are going to be in Omaha that I didn't really get to, like Hurston Waldrip, Kyle Teal for Virginia. But yeah, Waldrip is pretty gross. He is the second best changeup in the draft, only after Rhett Louder. So there's that. And he's been pitching a lot better down the stretch because he's just been leaning into his secondaries that much, or, so, like a lot more. So. I will have some concerns about his fastball, given that. But I mean, we've had some success with Florida pitchers in the past. I I had Walter <laughs> once. It was gross. It was extremely gross. Definitely, <laughs> Jeremy. God <laughs> damn it! Gosh dang it! All right, listen. On that note, we're going to take our last ad break for the episode. Coming up, we are going to give our Royals review reviews, and we got to talk a little bit about the Kansas City Star for some reason. Stay tuned. And we are back here on the Royals Rundown Podcast. Jacob Millingham here with Jeremy Greco and Greg Walker. So, guys, if it wasn't draft talk that was taking over Royal social media today, it was a very lengthy and good article from the Kansas City Stars, Sam McDowell and Kevin Hardy, a uh, sports columnist and a business journalist, teaming up for a very good article Titled, Get Us Out of Purgatory, Inside the Royals' Faltering Push for a Downtown Stadium. And I don't want to I don't want to try to summarize this story too much because it's it's very well put together, is a good read, it's very informative as well. Getting together what the general public and city officials think about the journey to a Royals downtown stadium. Um and it's pretty, it's pretty bad against, against the Royals. Uh, their own polling showing that less than half of voters would support a, uh, the financial commitment for a downtown move. Um, and then both sides talking about how the Royals are kind of wishy-washy on committing to a, a certain county for their new stadium location. Um, 
and it's it's a lot there's there's a lot to support it and i would very much suggest going and reading it also was not expecting to see frank white pop up but he was a very pivotal character in this story that they wove so definitely go check it out um jeremy i, I do want to get your thoughts on this and i put you on the spot once again so i'm ready this go ahead time, i think okay I, I actually read this article, so uh, I do have a couple of thoughts. Um, reading that article was the first time that I allowed myself to even doubt for a moment that a downtown stadium would be built. Um, I, I know that there's been, you know, kind of a vocal protest. It's unclear, you know, how many people of the general public aren't super excited about a downtown stadium. But um, there's been enough that, that you can hear it. Uh, but what we've seen kind of in other cities is that state and county legislatures can kind of work around the public if they want to. And what we're seeing here is that the legislatures, the, the politicians are basically not happy with the royals uh, for a variety of reasons. Um, and, and those are the guys you absolutely have to make happy if you're going to do this, because it, even if the people want it, they ain't going to get it if the politicians don't want to work with you. Um, and, and and so and I, I guess it's, they were already kind of working on an uphill battle where uh, Frank White is, is, as you said, kind of opposed to this in general. Um, the, the article mentions that the mayor uh, has a has had a well-known phrase about how much he wasn't really behind a new stadium. Yeah. Um, but he's, you know, they're, they're politicians. They're pragmatic. They'll, they'll, they want money. They'll figure it out if, if the Royals get their act together. But it, the article really paints, you know, everyone talks about the team being kind of incompetent when it comes to building a roster. But I think we all assumed that John Sherman knew what he was doing uh, and the people that he was hiring know what they were doing money-wise, business-wise. Uh, but the, the picture that's being painted in this article is not flattering of that side of the baseball operations either. It's, there's just a lot of, of seemingly unforced errors going on. Greg, um, have you had a chance to read over this article yet? I, I did read the article, and the sense I got from it is, as you kind of alluded to there, Jeremy, like the issues with this organization – they go beyond just the baseball operations side of the front office. Like they do clearly go into sort of the business side of the organization as well. Like I think probably the thing that stood out to me most is they painted a picture of just a Royalist organization that is very, very poor at communicating. They just does a very bad job of communicating with the local governments, communicating exactly what they're looking for and sending off the idea that, yeah, we're trying to get this done as quickly as possible, but at the same time be like, well, no, we're not we're not quite ready yet, actually. We want to make sure we get this right first. So you have conflicting messages of looking for the East Village and actually no, we're going to Clay County, even though it's like a smaller tax base for us. So the way that their business is operating is extremely questionable. Really need to work on that communication in some manner. But you're, you're right, like Jeremy, you mentioned like, you had no doubt stadium would get built until this happened. And I was in the same way. I was like, if John Sharon wants a new stadium, it's going to happen at some point. But now, I mean, with the quotes that like Frank White was giving that Mayor Quint Lucas was giving of how they don't really see a strong need for a new stadium or for taxpayer funding for it. It suddenly doesn't seem like it's such a sure thing anymore. No, it certainly doesn't. Literally Frank White's article or quote in the article, I will endorse a new downtown stadium only 
when I'm convinced it serves the best interests of Jackson County residents. All right, he was aligning with the with Mayor Lucas on on that one, which. You know what? As long as it's genuine, that sentiment, that's what you want to see from your political leaders. I, I will say that. Um, but yeah, like that's definitely putting up a wall. That is an obstacle for a downtown stadium happening. And they, they talked about it in the article. There is a burden of convincing and informing that falls upon the Royals organization. And Greg, what you were talking about, they just haven't done that. They haven't communicated what they want the benefits of it, how they want to get there. There are so many more questions than there are answers right now. And they've just kind of been dribbling out the potential locations. Like that's all that we've really had for the past like half, half a year, at least I would say. The the other thing they keep doing that just kind of boggled my mind from the start and reading the article. I was like, okay, so I'm not the only one is like, they keep, telling us how the public's going to fund it. They're like, oh, yeah, well, we'll just get you all to extend that tax. Well, you you don't get to decide that, yeah. Kansas City Royals. <laughs> what are you doing? What is going on? What What is going on that we don't know about? <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait for some bunk study to come out that was – uh, f- or put out by some company funded by the Royals. It outlines how like a downtown Royals stadium will be the first new sports stadium ever that actually provides tangible economic benefit to the local municipality. I cannot wait for that study. Yeah, we can listen. There's a whole bunch of there's a whole bunch of studies that we could dive into on the business side of things that show, hey, these these people that are selling these new stadiums and the funding for it. They actually don't do what these people promise they're going to do. And that's that's going to be a hard pill to swallow if that happens or, you know, when that happens, however we want to put it. But guys, listen, let's let's not go down that rabbit hole. We've already we've already gone down enough of those on this podcast. I swear. Oh, no. I do just want to say that even though I, I am allowing some doubt now that, that I didn't allow before, I do still think the odds are better that a new stadium gets built than than not. Yeah, I, I agree. Greg, what do you think? Yeah, probably. Money talks. Yep, it sure does. All right, guys, let's go ahead and get into our reviews for this week. So, Greg, I hear you've got a got a new beer for us. Is that correct? Yeah, I sure do. It's, I wouldn't necessarily call it a new one because obviously it's been around okay. for a while, and I've had it before, but I haven't reviewed it on the podcast before. I am reviewing... Sapporo premium beer, which as the name <laughs> implies, is from Sapporo up in northern Japan. It's kind of the uh, the flagship beer of Japan. And this one wasn't actually brewed in Japan because all the Sapporo products that are sold in the United States are brewed in either the United States, Canada, or in this case, this one is brewed in their Vietnam brewery in the Duke La Pa commune. So I'm not, I'm not going to read the rest of that because I'm not very good at Vietnamese pronunciation. But anyway... <laughs> I've, I've had this in bottles before, and I will say this tastes better than the bottle beer because beer in a can always tastes better than beer in a bottle. Anybody that thinks bottled beer is better, it's literally all mental because beer in a can is tangibly better in ways that I can actually explain. But I'm not going to dive into the whole science of optics right now. But anyway, what is cool about this beer, aside from the fact that it tastes pretty good, is this very unique can design, which is not only tapered to kind of look like a glass but also, rather than your typical aluminum can, it's made of steel. So, like, I can't bend what? it. I can't bend this at all. 
And I saw a video online not too long ago of somebody taking one of these empty cans and stacking five 45-pound plates on top of it like this, just on the ground, and it held up. And so I think it's just so cool. This is the most this is the toughest can of all time. So, I'm, I'm very much in favor. You don't throw that can away. You you saved that can. No, I could. I could probably just go to the shop and get another one. I don't. I think my friend just found this at a liquor store. But I imagine you can also find the uh, the 22 ounce Sapporo can at probably any Asian market too. Damn, that's a that's a big can too. Yeah, 22 ounces is nice. So uh, yeah, that's my review. The beer itself is good, and the can is very interesting. All right, beer or I'm, I'm taking the can over the beer, honestly. In, in that one, that's a, that's pretty unique. <laughs> Jeremy, what do you got for a review this week? I'm gonna give you a double feature. Oh boy, uh, I'm gonna give you. I watched an Apple TV show that of I'm not way. sure about. Oh, actually, uh, I watched the Big Door Prize, and oh, yeah. it was eight episodes of nothing happening. Followed by two excellent episodes of lots of things happening, and I'm I'm like, okay, now I'm ready for season two, and it's like, yeah, you're gonna be waiting for a while, because uh, that just finished. So I, I can't really recommend it necessarily, because I was sitting there like, why am I still watching this show <laughs> until I got to the very end? But I just I felt I had to bring it up because this is the Apple TV show, and I did I yeah. have been you know that's kind of my thing. So this, what I'm actually gonna give you is uh, I just finished. Uh, yesterday, I think it was, I finished Trails from Zero, uh, which is the fourth game in the Trails series. Uh, and it was it was an excellent game, and it just makes me want to recommend Trails in the Sky, which is the first game, all over again. That I was I was up literally until 2 a.m. last night uh, thinking about how amazing Trails from Zero is and how it's near a near perfect, or excuse me, Trails in the Sky is and how it's a near perfect JRPG experience. And, and that everyone should play it. It should be a pillar in the JRPG annals, right up there with Final Fantasy VII, right up there with Persona V, right up there with any JRPG you can think of. I think it could it could hold its own. So, okay. it, so go, it's on Steam. Go play Trails in the Sky. Okay. Well, thank you for that, Jeremy. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna come in with the negative one, guys, and this one is over the athletics business operations because. Oh. <laughs> this is uh listen i've i've had something stuck in my craw ever since this news broke about the uh the athletic laying off about four percent of their newsroom which does not sound like a lot but at the end of the day it came out to almost 30 folks getting laid off which that is you know in we we take in a lot of sports media we follow a lot of writers on twitter we read a lot of their stuff and um, I don't want to speak for both you guys, but they did lay off about two or three of my favorite um, writers for the athletic. And these are, you know, a couple of guys have already said like, Hey, I'm like, I'm done. I'm stepping away. This is my, this is my retirement time, which is crazy to think it was folks just getting their career started, but it was also folks on the tail end of their career who got laid off. Um, and I know the athletic has not done the Royals any favors recently, um, they never did replace Alec Lewis on the Royals beat, which I understand they probably weren't getting a whole lot of readership from Kansas City Royals fans because the team stunk. But at the end of the day, one thing that they really hung their hat on was all was covering all the teams and having a beat writer for each one of them. And 
that's just not what they are anymore. They eliminated a lot more Major League Baseball and hockey beats as well. And they're focusing more on uh, on the EPL and the NFL. And you know what? That's just how it is. They're going to have a whole bunch of staff writers who are uh, jack of all trades, uh, but a master of none. And I, I do prefer a master of none. And that's what gets my subscription money. Not a whole bunch of staff writers. I can go to I go to ESPN for that sort of action. So that is my review of uh, of the athletics actions from this week. I know that was uh, that was pretty pretty bad. There are guys over the athletic I still like to support: Nate Taylor, Rustin Dodd, Andy McCullough. I've had both Dodd and or Rustin and Andy on the podcast before. They're both really knowledgeable baseball minds. I will say. Go ahead, Jeremy. When you had Andy on, you did ask him about Kyle Zimmer, right? No. <laughs> Didn't touch it. If, if, if I remember right, so the whole time I was interviewing Andy, he, uh, he fidgets with poker chips. And yeah. so in the, whole, in the whole background of my episode, you could just hear like poker chips clinking. And it's because underneath the desk, that's what he was fidgeting with, was a stack of poker chips. And he, he opened up, he said that he was going to do it before the show started. I was just like, okay, whatever, I ain't going to hear it. Listen back to the episode, I'm like, yep, that's all I can hear now. <laughs> My message oh, to The Athletic is that you have become the very thing you swore to destroy. Yeah, seriously. You either die a hero or you live long <laughs> enough to see yourself become the villain. The Athletic, you are the villain now. Congratulations. All right, guys. It's a lot of positivity on this episode, isn't it? Oh, I got to love it. Steel beer cans. Hell yeah. Let's go. That's what it's all about. Steel beer cans in the College World Series. That's what this podcast is all about. Woo! Heck yeah. (laughs) Love it. All right. Everyone out there listening, if if you're still listening, you know where to find us on social media. You can find Jeremy Greco at Hakaias on Twitter. You can also find his work on RoyalsReview.com. Same thing with Greg Walker over there. I almost called you Craig Walker because I was thinking of your Twitter handle. (laughs) His uh, his Twitter handle is Greg, not Craig on Twitter. That is C-R-E-G, not the normal Craig, which I don't. I don't understand. I've never seen that spelling before Doesn't your Twitter matter. handle. Okay. Doesn't matter. All right. You're asking a lot of questions that seem to have been answered by your Twitter handle. <laughs> exactly. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. And everyone out there, if you want to support the podcast even further, please go support us on Twitter at Royal Rundown Pod. Also, if you are listening to this on Spotify, please check out our question and answers and our polls that you can respond to on the episode itself. Going to have some stuff in there about, you know, your optimism about the Royals' upcoming draft. And I just want, I just want to hear more from y'all. That's that's really what it breaks down to. But thank you for your support. Thank you for following along with us. And until next time, go Royals. <laughs> <laughs>